Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here today. May we hear your words in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, just to begin with, Carissa handed me this first. It's a phonetic outline of three names in the reading today. So, if I don't pronounce them right, no. <laughs> first reading is from Haggai, chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zubalah, the son of Shephzolah, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Zahogadah, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you who say this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes, yet now strong? O Zubilah declares the Lord, be strong. O Joshua, son of Zephyrdah, the high priest, be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The next readings are from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5 and 13 to 17. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in your mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is reviled, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? <laughs> but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you are taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort, and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts 
and establish them in every good work and word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Last summer, we went to, on a road trip to Colorado, as some of you may remember, and we had been debating if we would fly or drive. Um, rather, I had been debating if we'd fly or drive. Tim wanted to fly there because that's a bit of a long drive, but I wanted to drive because the kids had never seen Kansas. They had no sense of where it was that I spent most of my growing up. It was so alien to them that one of them once asked me if they speak English in Kansas. <laughs> so I pushed hard for driving all the way to the Rocky Mountains so that we could drive through Kansas. I didn't just want to show it to the kids. I needed to see it too, again, as an adult. When we first moved back to Pittsburgh when I was a teenager, it felt like exile to me. It was years and years and years before it felt like home here. So to return to my homeland after many years of exile was something that I needed as well. But it was weird to be in Kansas again after nearly 25 years. Kansas hasn't changed much, but I have. Not only was it alien to my kids, it had become alien to me too. I grew up on the pancake flat plains, but I'd spent my entire adult life in the hills of Western Pennsylvania. Everything was both eerily familiar and totally foreign. It's strange returning to a place you once knew to realize you no longer know it like you once did. Once upon a time, many centuries ago, the people of Judah had been exiled in Babylon. They were there for a very long time, decades and decades. So imagine their delight when they finally returned to their homeland. But the land had changed in their case, and they had changed as a community. The temple wasn't there in Jerusalem anymore. Those who remembered the old temple in Jerusalem were aging and tired. Those who had strength and energy didn't remember that old temple. Their first business was to start trying to restore the temple to its glory from back in the day. But this restoration did not go well for them. They sort of got sidetracked and worked on their homes and other rebuilding. They wanted a new temple, but not enough to really put the hard work into it. Those who remembered it and wanted to return didn't have the energy, and those who had the energy were fixing up their houses and gardens first. And so the prophet Haggai tries to tap into the memories of the few who remember what it was like in its glory, but they think the rebuilding is pointless because it will never be quite as glorious as it used to be. The church to which Paul writes in Thessalonians has the exact opposite problem 
of Haggai's Judah. In Judah, they weren't getting anything done because they had an unhealthy relationship with the past. In Thessalonica, they weren't getting anything done because they had an unhealthy relationship with the future. They heard the part about Jesus returning, and they thought that that meant, like, tomorrow. Like, right now, this is going to happen. So they basically just sat around waiting for Jesus to swoop down and carry them into heaven. And it's easy to see how they might want to hold on to that idea. There's something comforting about the idea of being taken out of this crazy, quickly changing world when we are suffering. The Thessalonians were going through some very hard times. And the idea of Jesus coming to scoop them up out of it was a very comforting idea indeed. This congregation knows a little bit about hard times as we uh, sit here shivering in the basement because the boiler has broken. The roof has issues. The carpets are probably close to my age. This building is old. But that's not to say that I don't love it here. I've only been here around three years. Most of you have been here a lot longer than that. But I've had fun here. I've laughed here. I've cried with you all here. I've gotten to know you. I've shared meals with you. And this is a special place indeed. There have been many good times in this building. And we humans develop strong bonds with places where happy things have happened. Or even where sad things have happened with people who comforted us. Some of you were married here, not here in this room, but upstairs with working heat. Some of you have said your final goodbyes to family members here, right here in this building. It is a holy and a sacred space. And it's scary to think that that might be in jeopardy or that we're struggling to care for it anymore. But it's not holy and sacred for any reason other than the people in it and the presence of God with them. You all are the holy and sacred space. You are what makes this holy. When congregations talk about revitalization, it's often with the goal to restore what was. Make the new temple the same as the old one. Fill this same old building up again with enough deep-pocketed people on Sunday mornings so that we can keep it standing throughout the week. Build up the youth and children's programs again. But that never works. At least not for long. Sometimes it perks things up for a little bit, but it doesn't last unless bigger, deeper change happens. Perhaps that's because those who remember it in its glory feel tired or jaded and, and frustrated that the next generation seems more interested in other things. And perhaps the next generation is more interested in finding a temple that is still standing than one that requires the hard work of restoration. Regardless, it never is what it once was. When the rebuilding doesn't succeed, when the people are too distracted or have their priorities on other things, are hyper-focused on returning to the old ways or just don't have the energy, a congregation can dwindle and die. 
But when rebuilding does succeed, the congregation never, never, ever looks like it did back in its first heyday. And both of those prospects are a little bit scary. But if we go back to Judah for a moment, we can hear Haggai's comforting word from God. God is there. And God is working through them, even though the temple isn't what it once was. God did not forget the promises made long ago. Promises that God's spirit would stay with them always. In other words, God's not going anywhere. Even if the temple isn't perfect by their standards, even if the community has been changed by exile, even if things in the world around them are very different, God hasn't left. God hasn't stopped working, and God has equipped them for the task at hand. And to the church in Thessalonica that can't function because they are just sitting around waiting for Jesus' return, Paul says that they have work to do today. While the triumphant return of Christ they are waiting for hasn't happened just yet and is still probably a long way off, Jesus returns and walks the earth today through the acts of the church community. So get to work, Paul says. We've spent some time over the past months thinking about what it means to be church. And we will continue discussing that moving forward. Because being church doesn't look like it used to. It cannot look like it used to look. Like the temple in Jerusalem, it cannot, for a variety of reasons, be returned to what it once was. But that doesn't mean we get to just sit around waiting for Jesus to swoop in and miraculously fix it. We have to roll up our sleeves, get down to work, and be the hands and feet of Jesus fixing it. Commenter Mary Johns asks us, what does it mean to put God first, creating a space for the congregation to gather to worship God together, to study scripture together, and to seek to live out our lives together as the people of God? And then she pushes on with some really hard questions, like, does this always entail a building? Does God call us to provide a gorgeous sanctuary or to discover a sustainable way of living out our faith together? Where we are matters in that this is a place where many sacred and holy things have happened. There are memories that live here in a special way. But what matters most is who is here. What matters is the people who are still here affirming that we are a community that cares about God's work. What matters is that God is here equipping us for the rebuilding. Another commenter, Nelson Rivera, has something to say that I really like as well about this passage in Haggai. Here we have a small remnant of a nation, a people with almost no resources except for themselves and their faith. In the midst of utter despair, they can hear a gracious word of affirmation as a people from the one who matters the most, their God, the Lord of hosts. Now they have not only God's spirit, but also God's word to go with them. Here, we have a small remnant of a congregation 
a people with almost no resources except for ourselves and our faith. And in the midst of this uncertain and sometimes despairing season, we can hear a gracious word of affirmation as a congregation from the one who matters most, our God, the Lord of hosts. Now we have not only God's spirit, but also God's word to go with us. No matter what, we have God's promise to be with us. We are not recreating the past, but we also are not moving into a terrible doom and gloom future. We don't know what the future looks like, but that's okay, because God does. If we follow God, we can move into that new and bright future. The key is living today with what we have, being present in this moment, being Jesus to others in this moment. The very last verse of our reading from the prophet this morning says, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace. What is yet to come is not as good as the good old days. It's better If we allow God to work in the restoration, it's not going to look like it once did. It's going to look even more wonderful. The new community is going to be even more spectacular than the old. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, ruler of all things in heaven and earth, hear our prayers for this congregation. Strengthen the faithful, arouse the careless, and restore the penitent. Grant us all things necessary for our common life, and bring us all to be of one heart and mind within your holy church. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.